You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the director for Navalny, Daniel Roher. Okay, so Alexei, I want to talk about something that we sort of touched on this morning. And you might hate this, but I really want you to think about it. If you are killed, if this does happen, what message do you leave behind to the Russian people? Alexei Navalny has taken on the most dangerous job in the world, challenging the leader of the Kremlin, Vladimir Putin. If I want to be a leader of this country, if I want to fight Putin, I have to organize people. The Kremlin hates Navalny so much, they refuse to say his name. I was banned from everything and blacklisted. But as I became more and more famous, I was totally sure that it will be problematic for them to kill me. And boy, were you wrong. Yes, I was very wrong. Alexei Navalny arrives at this hospital in Berlin to have your dad, an opposition leader, being poisoned. It was literally like a book. Come on, poisoned? Seriously. We were so shocked. It's like Putin's leaving a signature on the crime scene. It's kind of stupid. We found a domestic assassination machine on an industrial scale. Navalny will personally call his poisoners one by one. Oh my god, you ruined their day. <laughs> Navalny is stepping into a showdown with the Kremlin. I want to go back and try to change Russia. It's something worth fighting for. Are you not scared, Alexei? Alright, well Daniel, thank you so much. I I doubt you or anyone had any idea just how timely this film was gonna be releasing this spring. Uh when it came to Sundance, did you imagine that you were going to release maybe the most relevant film of the year? No, you never know. <laughs> when you make a film, it's a very insular process. You're with seven eight very close collaborators you become like a little family and you have no understanding or awareness of what the world's going to be like when the film's released maybe some other global story would dominate the headlines which would rush stars into less relevancy but when this war started what we understood was that the role of the film had changed significantly yeah <laughs> and uh, the significance and power of the movie um, had increased since it premiered at Sundance. And to make something, put your heart and soul into something, to have it reach the world at a moment when the world needs it, and uh, it will do good. Um, that's, 
I, I mean, I think it's overwhelming in a way that I haven't processed yet. It's it's it'll take me, I think, quite a while as I'm in the midst of this extraordinary experience to contextualize um, how this will impact my own life and identity and and who I am, my own personhood in a in a way. Yeah. Well, one thing I'm curious about is in light of what has happened, do you foresee this film having an impact on Navalny being released or anything like that? Or is it more just it'll bring attention to him and hopefully means that he can't be harmed while, yeah. because of this film? I think that the expectation that he's he's going to be released is, is not a calculus that I am uh, thinking about or really uh I, I don't think that's a possibility um i think that's an unrealistic expectation what i do hope what i do anticipate and what i'm working and striving for is that this film as a vehicle to keep alexei's name and plate on the global consciousness will help keep him safe the the yeah. theory goes that it's harder for the regime to murder alexei if he is high profile if his name exists yeah. in the global consciousness and the global ethos so i think that that in a way this film could be a life insurance policy for him um, to dissuade the regime to murder him. And that's why it's critical that we show it to as many people as possible. So tell me a little bit about how you connected with Alexei in the first place and how you kind of convinced him that you should be the person to shadow him and tell his story. It's it's a it's a, its own little spy thriller. I was in Vienna, Austria in November of 2020 with one of the film's producers, Odessa Ray, and this bizarre, strange, wonderful Bulgarian nerd with a laptop, Christo Grozev. And I understood that Christo was this sort of savanty, genius, investigative journalist. And one day he came in to a breakfast meeting we were having and he said, I have something else you might be interested in. And I said, what's that, Christo? And he says, he sort of like leaned in quietly. We were, I think, in a restaurant. He said, you know that Navalny guy? And I said, yes. He says, I think I have a lead into who tried to poison him. And Christo Grozev could be the one person on the planet who could utter that phrase, I think I have a lead into who tried to poison him. And you take it seriously, because this is what the man does. He has made his, banked his journalistic career on uh, solving Russian state crimes, essentially. Uh, and because of that, Navalny knew who this guy was and was keen and happy to engage and, and chat with him. Um, and a week later, Christo, Odessa, and I were driving across Germany to the Black Forest, which in and of, of itself is a cinematic landscape and universe. And I was to pitch Alexei on two things. The first thing I had to convince him of is why a documentary film, why a cinematic film was valuable to him. This is a guy mm -hmm. who has a media holdings company. He has YouTube channels with millions and millions of followers. So why then did he need me? And the second thing I had to convince him of was that he needed me. He <laughs> needed, I was the guy to make the movie. I was the right man at the right time in the right place. And, and that was the conversation we had when I met him. I think it was on, um, it was like November 16th or something, uh, 2020. Well, how did you do that? How did you sell him that you were the guy? Uh, Christo Grozev jokes about my pioneering arrogance. That's what Christo <laughs> would say. Um, but what I explained to Navalny was twofold. First, I had to delineate the difference between a YouTube video and a documentary. So from Alexei's perspective, he was saying, why would I make a documentary about this investigation when I could just make a YouTube video about it and put it on my YouTube channel? 
And I had to explain that a YouTube channel is more adjacent to broadcast news. A YouTube video is released now. It's for immediate consumption. And 10 million people might watch it tomorrow, but then they move on with their lives. Mm -hmm. What I'm proposing, what I do is different. First off, it comes out in a year or a year and a half or two years. He envisioned a future where he might be locked up. He might be in prison in Siberia. And he needed some sort of vehicle to keep his name and his plight in the headlines. And what I explained to him is this film could be such a vehicle to keep his story relevant. But the most important thing that I explained to him is that when people watch this film, if we do it right, if he cooperates, they will think about him and his family for the next week, month, year, maybe for the rest of their lives. It reaches people on an emotional level that a YouTube video cannot. Yeah. And I, I think Alexei saw me as like, you know, some artsy guy talking about emotion and cinema, a language that he is interested in, but doesn't necessarily speak. Um, but ultimately, I was able to convince him that very incrementally, I said, let's just start shooting. What's happening is historic. So let's just start shooting. And I think it was that incremental approach that um, that gave him confidence to to just consent to start off the process. And the rest is history. Yeah, well, it's it's funny you mentioned that because uh, obviously he released the famous scene of the film yeah. like a year ago, yeah. and uh, it was big. But a lot of people, yeah. myself included, hadn't seen that footage until it was in your film, and it's just like, oh my god! <laughs> it's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandslots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandslots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. So can you tell me a little bit about the moment where you were with him capturing the confession from a uh, FSB operative that they tried to kill him? So, so first and foremost, let me just set the scene. Alexei has this idea. He wants to call his poisoners. And I made a joke to Christo. You must know The Simpsons. You remember the Lionel Hutz from The Simpsons? Yeah. Oh, no, Troy McClure. It's Troy McClure. Hi, I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from whatever, whatever. So I made a joke to, to Christo. I was like, Christo, it'll be like, I'm Troy McClure. You may remember me from, or I was like, I'm Alexei Navalny. You may remember me from trying to kill me. I said something like that to Christo. <laughs> and then that joke seeded its way into Christo's head. 
And then I filmed, I just happened to film a phone call with Christo the day before we, we shot the phone call where Christo made that joke to someone else over the phone, which made its way into the final film. So it's like art imitating life, imitating mm -hmm. art. <laughs> but Christo and I had a long discussion about the phone call the, the night before. And he told me to have reasonable expectations. Probably nothing would come of it. Uh, uh, assassins and spies are trained not to divulge confidential information over the phone. That would be reckless. But we woke up, it was at five in the morning, we started shooting, we did five or six phone calls and they would all go the same way. There would be a call and then a hang up and then a call and then a hang up. And it wasn't until probably the last call where I was sitting there, I was filming and Alexei is doing his bit. And then I see out of the corner of my eye, Maria Pevchik, his chief investigator, who's a very steely, very Russian woman, doesn't emote. I see her jaw unhinge and hit the floor. This look of absolute shock. And then I see Christo, his, his expression of absolute disbelief. And I knew that something amazing, unbelievable, historic, extraordinary was transpiring. I didn't speak Russian, but you didn't have to, to read what was going on. And I just remember sitting there holding the camera, making sure it was in focus making sure there was enough battery and there was space on the hard drives and just thinking to myself, don't stop <laughs> shooting. <laughs> Do you know what became of the operative who uh, confessed? Uh, is there like an epilogue there? Yeah, there is. And it's really sad. He's disappeared. We don't know where okay. he is. Oof. He's divorced his wife. Uh, his family members, his relatives' phones have been shut off. Their numbers have been changed. It has been suggested by a so very, very, very credible source um, of Christos, the Bulgarian nerd with the laptop, that he is dead. Uh, yeah. I, that's entirely possible. And I remember hearing that news for the first time, and it was like a gut punch. I sort of staggered around for a day or two because I, I was forced to think about how my existence and my work specifically, and the fact that I didn't stop shooting in that moment, um, led to the uh, disappearance, the possible death of this this man who was not innocent, who was a member of um, uh, an assassination squad, but still as a human being, I can't help but feel the weight of that. Yeah, no, that's, that's heavy. Well, speaking of death, were you afraid of your own safety? And I mean, are you afraid of your safety now? During Great. making this or since it? <laughs> Solid transition, Will. Uh, <laughs> speaking of death, um, no, I'm not afraid of for my personal safety. I'm not afraid that I'm going to be killed or anything like this. I am aware of the risks. I am aware that I have aggravated um, a very aggressive and angry nation state that is known to go to great lengths to assassinate character sabotage people's lives, hack their emails, find compromising material. These are all elements straight out of the KGB playbook. Yeah. Um, but I think I understood that when I took this job. Just being around someone like Navalny puts you at a degree of risk. You're immediately on the radar of the Russian security services. And I just had to be okay with that. But the mission at hand and Alexei's character were more important than personal safety or anything like this. 
you are a braver man than me. That's for sure. I'd I be terrified. Know, I don't know about that. <laughs> say that, but if you were a filmmaker, if you were given the opportunity, you might do it too because it matters to the world, and that's what I think motivates any good documentarian. So you, uh, I read, I think, how many hundred hours of footage did you have initially? I think we had. I mean, it's not really. It, I, I say 400, but that's because we shot each interview with four cameras. So I can't. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> you need, okay. which is kind of a cheat, but we had certainly in the hundreds of hours um, to the ire of my, my cinematographer and my editors. Um, I shoot everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nikki Waddle, who's is the extraordinary DP of the film. My light master uh, calls me a garbage collector because I leave the camera there. And that's just my approach. But the reality is when you're shooting life, you don't know what's going to happen. And sometimes if you're just shooting B-roll or something, if you leave the camera there for five minutes, at minute 445, you know, an old man might walk through the frame in a way that is just lovely and beautiful and makes the shot. And and so I'm just always committed. I was like, we'll we'll do the work later. I'll sift through it. I'll find (laughs) the gems. Um, But yeah, there's a lot of footage, certainly. Well, how did you consolidate that into just uh, a feature? And also, I mean, there's a lot of exposition. I mean, this is material that a lot of your viewers might not be super familiar with. How did you consolidate minimum like 200 hours worth of footage into a coherent film that pretty much anyone can watch and understand? You know, Will, you're a man after my own heart asking about the challenges (laughs) of exposition. It's an extraordinary challenge, and it helps when you are working with the finest documentary film editors in the world. And, and I happen to be working with a man and a woman who are tied in pole position for the best in the world, according to me. <laughs> and that was Maya Daisy Hawk and Langdon Page. And it really started with us trying to structure the film to figure out what the narrative trajectory was. It seemed like it wanted to be a linear story. We weren't sure. And I think the most critically challenging parts of the editorial process were the first seven minutes of the movie, the first act of the film, and then the last six minutes. Mm. Um, And the exposition, it's always a challenge. It's you have to ask yourself, who are you making this film for? Up here, you have like the Russian expert who speaks the language, who knows everything about the subject. We want this to appeal to them. And then down here, you have someone who's never turned on the news and is just not interested with geopolitics. And so we want the median, we I sort of make it for the middle. I want there to be something for both ends of the spectrum. And that means that really impact your editorial choices and what you explain. But certainly when it comes to describing, you know, how the murder plot looks and how it, how Crystal unpacked it, I remember shooting that scene at this extraordinary cafe in Vienna called Cafe Spurl, the spy cafe. <laughs> That's as awesome. It. And as we were on set, Christo was explaining it and I would get him to, to dial it back. You know, it's almost as if those YouTube videos where it's like explaining concepts to, to like two-year-old or three-year-old. Right, or right. Yeah, yeah. To explain it at the, the most basic level. And I, I remember turning around to the crew and asking one of the gaffers to explain it back to me just to make sure people are following along. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and once I had had it in a way that was like A, B, C, D very easy to understand. I thought that we could construct a scene out of that material. And um, uh, thankfully, it it works in the movie. It really does. Uh, Everybody I know who watched it is like, 
this speaks to me. It makes sense. It's very yeah. accessible. Well, I think we're about out of time, but before we go, uh, have you thought about what story you want to tackle next? Are you going to stick with Russia or is there another topic you're interested in? Uh, there are a million other topics I'm interested <laughs> in. It's it's challenging. It's like daunting to follow up this movie. Yeah. It up is, is, is a fun challenge. Um, and I think the way I'm approaching it is by thrusting my energy into projects that are so totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I'm excited about now is making a film that's like a completely different type of film from this one. Well, I, I can't wait to see what it is because obviously this is still the best doc I've seen so far this year. And it's, you know, it's, it's a very important film and I really appreciate you bringing it well, to the world. And- well, I, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, you're obviously a movie guy, so it means double coming from you. So thank you for that. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your week and I hope you feel better. Thank you so much. I'm all good, Will. Take care. All right. Appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the director for Navalny, Daniel Roher, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Navalny just had its world premiere on CNN a few days ago, but will be streaming on HBO Max on May 26, 2022. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. Watch them in unforgettable adventures, love affairs, and tragedies. Now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories. From the makers of Death of a Rockstar and Death of a Sports Star, this is Death of a Film Star. Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs.